Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat at Big Meach 41 and soon to be on TikTok. That's right. Now, this is the special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. All right, I'm excited to welcome in this former Bearcat player who played from 1992 to 1996. Now, I don't know the exact numbers and stats on this, but I'm sure he'll explain to us. But I think he's played in maybe close to the most games of any Bearcat in history or something like that. We'll, We'll figure all this out. But I want to welcome in to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast, my guy, Keith Greger. What's going on, Keith? Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me, man. All right, so give me the stats, man. What are the stats here? you got to have them written down on a piece of paper next year or something. No, I I got these in my head, man. This was my claim to fame back at (laughs) at one point in time. (laughs) Uh, Let's go. Let's go. Let's hear it. Because, yeah, I knew when I left the University of Cincinnati, I had uh, accomplished two things. I had set the game most games played record mm-hmm. and uh, the most consecutive games. And I think that was uh bested. I think I bested Jelly Jones in that one, but this was uh, 131 consecutive. I played in every game uh, that I could have possibly played in. Wow. Uh, and that record, um, you know, the most games actually, that one was broken by several of mixed players because as you know, they add games, and uh, exempt uh, tournament games and such. So they play a few more college games now. Um, But the consecutive game streak actually held up for over 20 years. Uh, That was uh, Sean Kilpatrick that uh, had had gotten that one. And I think um, Jason Maxfield actually got within maybe two games. And I was really rooting hard for him to to beat it because that would have meant uh, that would have put uh, that team in the uh, Final Four. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For his senior year. Yeah. So, so we had those, and I know I think myself and Bobby Brandon had 100 wins um, as the most wins by any of the Huggins players. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, those those were uh, some long-standing records, some of the important ones. Uh, maybe not the points or rebounds, but but, but I got the <laughs> I got got in every game I could. Yeah, no, that that speaks volumes of you as a, as a player. And then as we go through your journey here with basketball and get towards the end, we kind of bring it back around to that as far as your contribution to Bearcat basketball, which I think will tie into um, some of those numbers you just talked about. But let's do this, Keith. Let's rewind the tape and go through your history. Now, you weren't born in Cincinnati. You were born in Columbia, South Carolina. Is that correct? I was, yeah. So uh, my father actually had uh, grown up in West Virginia but played co- his college ball at uh, South Carolina for the Gamecocks. Uh-huh. And then after a six-year uh, NBA career, uh, six and a half years, he ended up back in Columbia, uh, which was where I was born. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, I think I was maybe four years old, that, that we ended up in Cincinnati, in Westchester, um, in the Lakota School District. Okay, so you, you start off at Lakota, which is which is crazy to think about at that time that Lakota was one school. Whereas you fast forward to 2020, there's Lakota East and Lakota West. So what was it like back then, just as as one school? Well, yeah, the old high school was surrounded on three or four sides by cow pastures. Um, it was really, really rural area. Um, yeah. I, I had two older brothers that were five and seven years older than me, and I, I used to idolize them and go to all of their games. They both played together um, mm-hmm. at Lakota. and. At the time, they had set uh, a record of 16-4, and four, uh, I think, when one was a sophomore and the other was a senior. And that was the best team Lakota had ever uh, produced. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, I was fourth or fifth grade, and I was following around. I was actually keeping stats in the stands. and used to meet with the players afterwards. They all wanted to know what their real stats were. 
Lakotes. I think mm-hmm. the minds matter. Um, but yeah, I grew up idolizing Lakota basketball, which at that time in the GMC, uh, when you look around, you're talking about guys like uh, Chris Carter at Middletown, and um, you know, there's Popwell at Fairfield, and uh, Greavy at Hamilton. I mean, great, great teams mm-hmm. in the GMC that I grew up getting to watch. Um, yeah, so now, did you play all four years at Lakota? So it's interesting. Yeah, my freshman year, I, I started out Lakota and split time between varsity and JV. Mm-hmm. And then my sophomore year, because of an opportunity my dad took, I actually moved to Lexington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, played for Henry Clay High School. Yep, um, I remember that. Down there. And, um, you know, that was – it was a it was a completely different way that they played basketball, man. Uh, I mean, <laughs> this – you got to go back to where there was no three-point line, I think, when I was in maybe 87 – maybe mm-hmm. in junior high. Um, Kentucky adopted the three-point line a lot faster than I had ever seen it uh, adopted up here. And so it was a much faster pace game um, versus uh, what I was uh, traditionally used to. But I think that helped develop me. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we had a phenomenal team. We were ranked in the top five of the state um, for most of the year. Um, and then, um, you know, things worked out how they did and ended up back uh, my very next year for my junior and senior year at Lakota. Mhm. So, which I mean, that's a fascinating little you know travel. Being that, I mean, you go down as as one of the greats to play at Lakota, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But the fact that you left for that year, then came back, because you know, as you look through your your history of basketball at Lakota, it's one year's missing, and it's like, what the hell? What what, what happened to this one year? And so I did that research, and and Henry Clay. What was that transition like? You go from Lakota. Henry Clay back to Lakota. Well, I went I went from Lakota where kind of everybody knew my family, they knew my brothers were players, they knew I was a player, everybody I knew where I fit in. And then when I moved down to Lexington, I mean nobody knew who I was. I, I played for a coach who had never played or started a sophomore on varsity. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I had to go down there from day one. You know, I was put, you know, on the opposite side of the gym and had to work myself improve myself and work my way up. And, and so I did end up starting down there uh, the entire season. But, you know, just from a standpoint of, you know, personal growth as well as basketball, uh, being able to go into a new environment and have to prove yourself all over again, um, you know, that was something that, you know, I hadn't anticipated having to do. Uh, so that was that was a big growth for me. Um, and then coming back to Lakota, um, you know, Lakota had my junior year where I came back to a team that had a seven-footer that, you know, in a couple six, seven guys, they had had a good year the previous year. And, uh, you know, I remember a lot of my peers thought, you know, are you going to come in here and screw things up? Are you going to, you know, have to score? And, you know, because we got a mm-hmm. good team. We're going to we're gonna be pretty good. And you know, I think inevitably they all um, found out that I was uh, more of a catalyst than a, a key to the team's success yep. uh, as a team player. And you eventually – Help lead your high school team to a state championship where you were named the MVP of the state tournament. Yes. So the the, um, the interesting thing that I think a lot of people get messed up or confused on is my junior year we actually had the seven footer JB Reef Snyder who went to Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we had a, a six seven uh, Steve Belter who ended up at Richmond and uh, through some transfers ended up at Ohio State. And we had another six seven guy. I mean we were for a high school team, we had a, we had a very imposing front line. And of course, you know, that year we were, uh, we were state runner up. And then the very next year I was the biggest at six, five that we returned. <laughs> and it was more a matter of just extreme chemistry uh, with a lot of seniors on the team uh, that led us back up to state. And uh, we actually won the state championship uh, against Greg Simpson's uh, Lima senior. Yep. That that was the yep. third time we had beaten them that year, and he was, of course, Mr. Basketball going to Ohio State. And it just felt good to win it yeah. at St. John's Arena. <laughs> yep. Yep, where he was going to go to school and play at. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, that was right when UC was going to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and had UC or had Ohio State been able to pull off uh, a win against Michigan, it would have been a UC – uh, Ohio State uh, matchup in the Final Four. That would have been crazy. Yeah. So Now, so speaking of that, 
um, transitioning to your recruiting process and how you ended up at UC, who were some of the other schools that recruited you, and why did you end up a Bearcat? Yeah, I was heavily involved in uh, recruiting by Dan Dockich at Indiana. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gene Cady was at Purdue, and those were those were easily my my top three schools that I had uh, considered. And for the better part of my junior year, I probably was uh, leaning towards going to Indiana. Um, I had the advantage, however, of being in Cincinnati and an open invitation from Coach Huggins to come down, watch a practice, come to open gyms, um, and it was really kind of coming in. Because I always wanted to play against the better competition. I wanted to find mm-hmm. out where I stood. And so I would come down and I'd play a little bit against these guys. And not even so much from the standpoint of uh, the competition. It was more just hanging around these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at that time, maybe in the 80s or whatever, you see maybe didn't have a, the greatest reputation, uh, you know, and, and sort of kind yep. of what is UC basketball really about. And when I came down there, I mean, the first people I got to, be introduced to, you know, Steve Sanders and Lou Banks and Andre Tate and Libertus Robinson. I mean, these were guys that were just, they're incredible athletes. They were unbelievably physical. And yet they were some of the nicest guys that I knew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it was really uh, kind of getting comfortable with those guys. And then of course, uh, ha- having the California guys of, of Corey Blunt and Eric Martin and Terry, Terry Nelson and uh, getting comfortable with those guys, it just it just felt very natural, um, and it, it made uh, looking at Indiana uh, versus UC an easier decision. Because the one thing Huggins kind of uh, you know, always impressed upon me is he said, Keith, it's not about where you've been, it's about where you're going. Mm-hmm. And and no, I was not ever going to play on those uh, '70s national championship teams in Indiana. You know, it's about where you're going. Mm-hmm. And, and Cincinnati was certainly heading in the right direction. I actually committed before my senior year, before they went to the Final Four, which certainly raised some eyebrows because nobody really knew much about UC basketball anymore. Certainly not out in Westchester. It was just until they hit the Final Four, that was what put things back on the map. So, yeah, and that's a great segue into, you know, you sign with the Bearcats, end up coming to Clifton. And that 1992 season, when you arrive, you know, the the tough part is you're coming into a program, like you said, that's coming off of Final Four and one of the greatest runs in school history. The expectations are very, very high. And at that time, you know, they have some key components and guys coming back to that team from that Final Four run. Obviously, they lose, let's see, what was it? They lost Herb Jones, Buford. But they have a core group of those guys coming back, but yet here comes a freshman. And and granted, and I do remember this about you, Keith. Remember those old Bearcat media guides? (laughs) Yeah. Those were like legendary, right? In in one of the media guides for that season, they had the incoming players, and they did like those little profile picks where you're like holding the ball and doing like a fake triple threat position. (laughs) Yeah. You remember that? Uh And I I will never forget seeing that and seeing the picture of you, knowing that, you know, obviously you played at Dakota and me being a local guy, but the fact that you looked physically like a grown man already, like going, like most people go to college, develop, get stronger, but you kind of came in looking the part already. So if you take that coming into, I think, a team that's got very, very high expectations in 1992, you got to be thinking through your mind, am I even going to play? What's the situation? But you managed to play 32 games, averaging 13 minutes a game. I mean, what was the key to that? Well, yeah, and I think uh, the style of play was a huge benefit uh, for making that happen. I mean, Huggins always said, you know, we've always got room for somebody who's going to get in there and play hard and play defense and rebound, you know, and those are the things that get you going in the game. Um, so the nice thing about having a team that comes back with as much as they did, there were six seniors on that team mm-hmm. um, and they knew exactly, uh, how to play, how hard they had to play. Um, and so it was kind of finding, finding a spot to plug in there. And I'm already playing with four guys that had just come back from the final four, mm-hmm. you know? So, so just knowing my role in that situation, um, made it easy and you know, obviously focused on on defense and that was how we created a lot of offense but you know when we, when things get rolling and um i mean we were a type of team where we we liked winning games 
but we mm-hmm. loved making other teams lose games. We loved watching guys <laughs> throw it into the third row because they couldn't <laughs> handle our press. Right. So, you know, you get that mentality in you and, uh, you know, it makes it, uh, makes it easier when you got those guys behind you. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, you know, Keith, I, and I asked you that question and as I posed to, you know, coach Huggins, like what, what was it about Keith that made, you know, him so special coming in his freshman year with, with all those returning guys, like what made Keith so special? And Hugs basically said, the dude's a winner. Like you cannot count against guys that are winners. You come in from high school, you were a winner. And that means you'll do whatever it takes to win. Put your ego aside. And I mean, that's a huge, I mean, that's a huge compliment, obviously from coach Huggins, but that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty much you, a winner. No, that's, that's coming from a winner. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I, I would definitely uh, would take that, you know, it's, a lot of people always ask about Huggins and about, you know, is he, what's he really like? And I'm like, well, you know what? He knows what it takes, you know, and you might not agree with what it takes to get there, but as an 18, 19 year old, you have to kind of just understand, you know, if I just do what, you know, the plan is, maybe the plan will work out. And, uh, you know, he's he's a guy who shows up in Clifton and and turns him into a final four team in three years. I mean, you kind of trust, trust where he's going with that. Right. So, yeah, yeah. no question about that. So uh, now we talked about this, this 1992 team, there were high expectations for him. Now I interviewed A.D. Jackson and we talked about this season and and the high expectations going into that. The team ends up, you guys ended up 27 and five, I believe. But one game that A.D. and I talked about was that game at Indiana. And with guys, I think, Terry had a heart issue. Um, Corey wasn't um, eligible yet. A lot of guys, it was a shorthanded group. Do you remember much about that game? Yeah, there was um, there was a suspension on Corey Blunt at the time mm-hmm. um, based on whether or not he should be eligible or not. So we didn't play with him. We didn't play with Terry Nelson, uh, who just, you know, after shoot-around had chest problems, which, you know, messed up. Eric Martin's mind and Nick Van Exel had just gotten mm-hmm. off of uh, knee surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you go back to one of the things that made me successful was I had an opportunity to watch a bunch of practices and I understood the defense and, and the slides and everything that we were trying to do. We were now trying to play with guys like Mike Harris. I think Mike started that game with us. Um, uh-huh. And Mike had just gotten in from junior college. I know he hadn't, you know, had the experience and, and all the reps necessary to kind of fill in and know everything. I mean, we were throwing people out left and right. Um, and again, Indiana was coming off of a year where they were an elite eight team uh, or better. I mean, they had senior laden team as well. Um, so it, it was really an unfair matchup. If we'd have had a chance to, to play them later in the season uh, at full strength, it would have completely changed things. Um, but yeah, assembly hall is not a, a place to go when you're missing two and a half starters. <laughs> Oh, without a doubt. And and the fact, too, that, you know, that's a school you were looking at. Yeah, you know, it, was, it was interesting, you know, talking with an assistant coach um, who I'd had a lot of contact with and Dan Dockage before the game. <laughs> and then I'm kind of feeling the eyes and the stares of a Bob Knight in, in the back of my mind. And all I wanted to do was, you know, really impress, you know, everybody. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I remember being in the in the corner, you know, set up for a three and the and Exel dribbled hard towards me, uh, passed to me in the corner, and I think he said, yeah, bust that. And I proceeded to shoot a, a beautiful 22-foot jumper from 19 feet, and it just sailed over the rim. Mm. <laughs> so that was uh, – the depth perception in Assembly Hall is different. I just – yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's – a <laughs> little, little different there. I, I've been there a couple times at Assembly Hall, man. Just a very, very unique. I, I always say, man, it looks like an old battle strip when you walk in that place. It just looks – I mean, have you been there in a while? I actually went to a game, I think, two years ago. I watched them play Duke up there. I mean, fanatics uh, up there. I mean, it's a, it's a great atmosphere, um, and there's a lot of history in there that you can kind of sense or whatever. But, 
you know, there's different arenas and they all have their own different fields. You know, mm-hmm. you go out to the West Coast, you see a lot of the circular ones. Uh, you know, we, you know, we were playing Shoemaker Center. We were talking multi-purpose, and then you, you compare that to Memphis and the Pyramid. We played in a lot of very similar arenas in your conference, and then when you step out of your conference, you kind of get a whole different feel. Yep, um, for sure. And, uh, depth perception coming from high school to college is one thing, but there's a little bit of an adjustment that every shooter has to has to make um, based on you know how big is the arena that he's playing in. Yep, and so now looking at this, um, your first year, you guys make a run to the Elite Eight, um, which I think a lot of people thought maybe. This is another Final Four team, another maybe even the championship team. I know I heard that thrown around quite a bit um, during that season. But just going into that uh, North Carolina game, um, how big that game was, uh, AD and I talked about Nick Van Exel went off that game first half. Um, and he just felt like Nick got tired because um, he had to do so much, bring the ball up and AD had, uh, if you remember, he had the meniscus tear, mm-hmm. and he couldn't really, Hugs couldn't shift AD to the point to move uh, Nick to shooting guard, which would allow him to handle the ball less and, and get and be less tired towards the end of the game, but it felt like just ran out of steam. How much do you remember about that game? Yeah, I mean, we ran out of steam a little bit. We ran out of players. I mean, if AD was healthy, I don't think there's anybody on that team that doesn't think we would have won the game. Right. Um, and, and, you know, after that, I mean, North Carolina goes on to win it. Yep. So, yep. Uh, you know. The infamous we were, timeout game, right, Michigan? Yeah, yep, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And and believe me, those guys, as, as bad as they would have liked to have beaten North Carolina, they would have loved another shot at Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, having lost to them in the Final Four the year before, yep. uh, they really wanted that one back. Um but yeah, the, the North Carolina one was a disappointment because we found out um, in the Sweet 16 against Virginia that, you know, we're as good as the ACC teams. And then in the first half, we found out, you know what, we're better and, and we can do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they had uh, oh, Donald Williams got hot and made yep. some shots. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were they were a completely stacked team. Uh, the names up and down, uh, you'd recognize every one of them. But, uh, yeah, that was... Uh, unfortunate and you know I remember from each one of my years um, and that was my freshman year that what the locker room was like after that final loss and and it was a different locker room that year after we lost Mm. um, because you had so many seniors Um, you know you look you know for Huggins it was always like let's use this as a growing experience for next year and subsequent teams when you lose two or three seniors you 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 go in the locker room you say next year we're going to do this and we're going to do this better I mean that was that was the end of something very yep. very special in UC basketball and those six guys you know they deserved it and it was more of a you know uh, an attitude of you know thanks for everything who cares about next year right now right you know? and and I think that's a great segue into the next season 1993 the roster looks a lot different um, you know like you said some of these guys that have been around for that two year experience are now gone you're bringing in these kind of super, super freshman in D'Antonio, uh, Damon Flint, Darnell Burton, um, you know, guys like you, Lizelle, Kurt are all coming back, but it's just a different look, uh, look roster. Well, it, the inexperience abound. When I came in my freshman year and, and like, you know, you have six guys that just went to the final four and they're telling you, this is the way we do things. Um, you know, we didn't have that. We had six new guys coming in that said, this is how I do things. You know, <laughs> yep. because yep. it's been that easy for me and I'm, you know, an all American. So there, there were, there were lots of challenges uh, with that. And it was very frustrating having, you know, known how things were supposed to go and then to sense how much of a struggle it was, you know, to instill all this thing over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think I, I look back on that season and, you know, you guys went 22 and 10, lost in the first round to Wisconsin, and I was a little surprised with that because you guys came off the uh, Great Midwestern tournament having won it, and I thought playing well going into the tournament, and then you know losing to Wisconsin. Would you say that was a disappointing season? 
Um, I, I think it was probably a good coaching uh, by Huggins. Um, really, I, we weren't that good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was the old great Midwest, and, and people don't realize that was a great conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, Marquette was really good. DePaul was still good. St. Louis always had a good year every other year. UAB, I mean, we were putting five teams in the NCAA tournament. Mem- at Memphis time State? There were no super conferences. Yeah, and Memphis State. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, that was a, that was a great uh, uh, that was a great league. We had the advantage in the conference tournament. We played that at Shoemaker Center, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we had guys like Lazelle, love shooting in the shoe. Uh, he got hot. <laughs> we were we were on fire, you know, for those few games. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we played Wisconsin when they had um, Finley, and he was he was unbelievable. And yep. um, can't remember who the big guy was, but uh, we were an eight nine game, and I think we were the eight seed. Um, but we were so young, it certainly didn't feel like we were the team that was supposed to win. Um, no, yeah, those eight I, those eight nine games are tough. Yeah, um, I mean I don't even know what was uh, who was <laughs> we were supposed to play after that. We're just uh, looking forward to the next year. Yeah, and then, and so jumping into 1994, you guys went 22 and 12. Um, once again, you got some new crop of guys coming in. Keith uh, Legree at point. Um, obviously, Bearcat legend coming in and Danny Fortson, um, Bobby Brannon. But one thing I remember about this season was there there were some incredible, incredible games. One, one of which was, I think, kind of a bizarre game. You look back, was that lost to Canisius? <laughs> yeah. I mean, prior to that, I had never heard of Canisius, nor did I think 90% of the country. How do you lose to a team like Canisius? Yeah, we didn't just lose. I think we lost in the Bearcat Classic. So mm-hmm. our own tournament that we hosted, we couldn't even win our own tournament in our own place. That's um, you know, I think there was a little bit of a changing in the guard that year. The success of the Final Four and Elite Eight teams was based primarily on just a lot of defense, you know, full court pressure. Um, you know, it was, it was just one game. And now we got guys like Danny Fortson that if you run specific set plays, you, you can't stop the guy. Uh, yep. and, and Darnell Burton was coming into his own and Damon Flint could certainly isolate somebody and score. Um, you know, you, you see Huggins kind of changing the style a little bit from mm-hmm. this all out press 94 feet to, now we're going to be a little bit more of a set team mm-hmm. uh, where we where we know where we want to go to get baskets. And so our offense was actually evolving. Uh, the Canisius loss was certainly, you know, un- unexpected. Um, but we had several losses that year, and that team really was a year away still, uh, even with all those guys. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point about the, the change in style um, with Danny. And you are, you are so right. When Danny would catch it on that block, I mean, just run back, just run back. It's it's automatic too, or he's going to the free throw line. It, it, it's as, as simple as that. Um, but there are guys in this game who you know they've got a specific move. If they turn over their left shoulder, they're gonna you know hit that with my hook or whatever. With Danny, I swear the guy's got no moves. He doesn't. He just finds a way to put it in the basket. It's 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 uncanny. Yep, that willpower, man. Yeah, yeah. Danny was a. Danny was a special one for sure. I mean, great hands, great feet, mm-hmm. which I'm sure, you know, that just evolved over time. It wasn't, you know, the greatest when he started, but I mean, his, his hands, it's like he threw it in there. It was just, he was catching it every time. Um, but it, so the next game, obviously, I think you know which one I want to talk about. We interviewed Lazelle Durden, and um, I, I think that Wyoming game is got to be one of the top games ever in Bearcat history and from a lot of different standpoints. Obviously, Lazelle, his performance that game, I think he had 45 points, which it ranks, you know, top three of most points in a single game, you know, performance of all time. Just incredible. Uh, the last three free throws um, were legendary. No time on the clock. Nobody on the free throw line. Lazelle shushing everybody. Um, take, take us back through that game in, in your mind, what you remember about that. Yeah. So that was, that was a trip out to the West coast and we knew that, uh, the air is thin up there. So hugs wanted to get us out there a couple of days early to, 
uh, to practice out in that, which during the winter break you can do because there was no class. So mm-hmm. we went out there and practiced for a few days. Practiced absolutely horrible. Um, everyone except for Lizelle, because Lizelle was one of these guys that could just get up off the couch and run a five-minute mile. Yep. Uh, he, he was a he was a unique athlete. So all through practice, you know, Hugs was telling us, you know, Lizelle's going to have to score 50 if you guys want to win because you guys think. So we go through that game, and at some point, you know, Huggins just starts putting me in, and then, you know, John Jacobs and, 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 and Curtis Bostick, and basically the game plan was go get Lizelle open. You know, go mm-hmm. set screens for Lizelle. And so we're just in the mode of just running around and finding Lizelle and setting screens. Mm-hmm. And um, it comes down to the final play, and – we had a timeout. We called a 1-4, let Keith Legree just isolate at the top, everybody on the baseline, and let him, you know, try to get a, a bucket, and we'll send this thing into overtime. And actually, I lost my mind. Uh, I, I, I was just running around, you know, screening the ball, so I went up and tried to screen him. <laughs> and so it screwed up the play completely. Next thing I know, Lizelle's got the ball, and guess what? I'm going to go set a screen on Lizelle. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, the defender came around my screen trying to stay with Lavelle and grabbed his arm. Yep. and uh, that's how we ended up getting the three shots. It was a busted play um, that, that 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 did that. And so you know we run into the locker room, you know, all happy, and you know people are throwing food at us and throwing their drinks at us, and we get in the locker room. <laughs> Huggins comes into the locker room and he just he can't believe what just happened, and John Jacob. Jacobs called him out and said, Hugs, you lied to us. And he's like, John, what did I lie about? He said, you said Lizelle had to score 50 if we wanted to win. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah, that now, was what, a trip. What, what was going through your mind? I talked to Lizelle about this. So we, we got into Lizelle's mind. But what was going through your mind when you have, obviously – one of the best shooters in the country, not only three-point shooters, but also free-throw shooters in the country, at the line, no time left to make three to win the basketball game. What was going through your mind? Well, you know, as a player, you're still thinking with your head in the game. I'm thinking if he he's going to get two out of three of these, right? He's better mm-hmm. than a 67% free-throw shooter, and, you know, we at least get to take this into overtime. And we had, we had cut into, I can't remember how far we were down or behind, but the momentum was definitely on our side. If you could just make two, get us into overtime, you know, we got things rolling here now. Um, but yeah, LaSalle took down all three of them and uh, sent them home. When, when that third free throw left his hand, and I, I told LaSalle this in the background, with the one, the one video, it's uh, the guy, the photographer, was recording from the front of Lazelle as the as he's getting ready to shoot the ball, and we we couldn't figure out who it was behind Lazelle, one of your guys' teammates. He basically put his hands in the air and said, "This is over." He knew before it even left his hand that it was good, and then as the ball goes through the net, you guys all run on the floor and celebrate. When it left his hand, did you know it was good? Did you have that same feeling? Yeah, I, I think I think so. I yeah. don't think I've seen Lizelle miss very many free throws. Yeah. Um, and after the first two had gone down, you you, you kind of knew. I think most of the arena probably knew that he's making the third one. Yep. Yep. Incredible, incredible game. And uh, unfortunately, you guys lose uh, in the tournament, the NCAA tournament, in the second round to uh, UConn against uh, a Ray Allen-led team. Turns out to be one of the greatest shooters and one of the greatest shooters in the history of the game of basketball in the NBA. Um, but what I, what I want to do, Keys, I want to I want to jump into um, your last year, uh, 1995, and the 1995-96 season. I, I thought this was such an interesting season because I feel like this season gets lost in the conversation a lot of times. Um, you know, because I mean, a large part of it is I think you look at the Final Four group. And then the year after that, Elite Eight. And then even after that time, you start getting in these high level, the D'Antonio Wingfields, the Kenyon Martins end up going on mm-hmm. being great. But I think this 1995-96 season gets a little bit lost in the conversation. You guys finished 28-5. and You guys start off the season 12-0, and um, beat Xavier at Xavier by nine. Everything's clicking. Um, what were your thoughts at that point? You guys are 12-0. and rocking and rolling. What, what are your thoughts at that time? 
Yeah, we knew, I think right around Christmas, we may have been 9-0 and or something. And I remember getting interviewed. And, of course, you know, UK had a great team that year as well. And, you know, the local media was sort of covering them just as much as they were us. So we were a little overshadowed by that, which uh, motivated us even more. So we kind of knew that we had something special or we had returned to prominence. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't recall. Maybe we started out ranked 25th or something, but we worked our way up uh, to a top 10 ranking finally. Um, and, and we knew we were, we were good and, and we had to, we had to find something, but you look at the pieces. I mean, Darnell Burton was a phenomenal uh, uh-huh. clutch player and, uh-huh. and Danny and, and sort of, you know, all the pieces were there. Um, when we were playing good, you know, we went down to Arkansas and um, slaughtered them in front of the President Clinton. I mean, I remember that. we played yes. people too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we played Cal out in California, um, I think Minnesota. Uh, and we, we won both those, one. right? You won yeah. both those games, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we knew that we were going to have a, a really good year. And again, the conference we were in, this was now the first year of Conference USA. And basically all those good programs that you talked about, Memphis and um, Marquette, and, and now you're going to throw Louisville in the mix. Mm-hmm. It, it was going to be a gauntlet, but yeah, that was a very good conference. Yeah, and one game I'll never forget, and you, and you know this, um, having lived here for so long, a lot of times you hear Cincinnati sports fans talk about, you know, somehow, some way, Cincinnati teams always find a way to lose it or something bad happens. You always hear about that Cincinnati sports curse or whatever it's called. And, you know, really one of my, you know, when I was younger, one of my first tastes of it was that game against Arizona. Mm. Um, that was tough, man. That 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 game yeah. right there was 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 a tough one because I thought, okay, we we got this. And Arizona's what number four in the country or close to that at that time. Could have been, yeah. I mean, it was again. You, you like to play those games on a neutral floor, um, and it was not very neutral. Um, <laughs> just from a standpoint of how we played. I mean, you look at the likes of who we had with Bobby Brannon and Danny Fortson, Art Long, and Roger McEnroe. We were big. We were physical. We were tough. And that game played out west had a different feel to it altogether. Yep. And I think I played most of that game as the power forward and at times the interior player um, because – you know, I think they got Danny in foul trouble early and Art was in foul trouble, Jackson Juleson. I mean, we couldn't keep guys, big guys on the floor and take advantage uh, of our strengths. And uh, they got us. Yeah. That was a tough one. And that, that shot. Who hit that shot? Uh, Miles Simon. Ugh. I was standing right behind it watching it the whole way. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it. It looked good, yeah. <laughs> that was that was tough. But here, here's the thing, and you mentioned this earlier, and I was going to say this, but you said it before I could say it. You guys played, I think, a, a really good schedule that year, which puts you in position, I think, when the NCAA tournament starts, puts you in position to feel confident. Um, and, I, and I'm a firm believer that when you play an NCAA tournament, it's always great to have some examples before you get there of situations. So mm-hmm. when you're down by this or you're up by this and a team's coming back, if you face that during the regular season, you can kind of go back to those examples. Hey, this is what we did. I thought you guys had a lot of that during that season. <clears throat> so this elite eight run that you guys make, I think a lot of people forget about that. Losing to Mississippi State, at Rupp Arena, I was at that game. Dante Jones, I think they had Dampier. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that was I – mean, you guys had a great run. I, I think if you ask Huggins, even he'd tell you that was one of the most talented teams he ever had. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, the ways we could score, certainly inside with Fortson and outside with uh, Darnell Burton and Darnell could shoot, uh, Flint could shoot. I mean, you know, we had a lot of talent on that team. Um yep. Certainly, I think under different circumstances, we would have been fine. I think we were kind of expecting or hoping to play UConn. At least I was. 
mm-hmm. uh, because UConn had just put us out of the tournament the year before. Mm-hmm. And that's who Mississippi State beat to, mm-hmm. to, to get to the Elite Eight game. And Mississippi State, if you remember, they just won the SEC tournament over Kentucky. Okay. Um, I mean, they were they were very hot. They were banking in three-pointers against us. We knew we were in trouble early <laughs> when they started hitting us. Yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, tough. Now, now, do this. Can you? I mean, we talked about each season and in your career. Um, what for you? What was it like to play for Bob Huggins? Yeah. Again, you go back to uh, the games you won by thirty points, and you walk into practice the next day, and the guy is just pissed off at the world. <laughs> so you know, you don't question. Um, you know, you know, he has the same goal as you. He wants to be the best team possible. And um, he's got a different way of getting there. Um, you know, there's never time to uh, enjoy and smell the roses. Nope. Uh, that, if it's a big game, if it's a good win, even if you got a week off, I mean, there's always the next. We've got to get better. We've got to mm-hmm. be able to do this because we're going to face somebody down the road that's going to challenge us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, a lot of the memories that I even think that I should have more memories never really took a chance to fully digest it because it was move on to the next. Yep. That sucks. So, mm-hmm. But, Very... you know, the nice thing about it is, he, you know, for me at least, he's still around. Yep. And for basketball today, for me, it's more enjoyable that I can kind of tune into West Virginia and watch and know what the plays are. Um, <laughs> right. You know, and, and you look around all of college basketball with Frank Martin and Andy Kennedy. I mean, there's this, you know, UC tree and, and other people. Um, certainly, you know, I was surprised when I was at the Temple game this year and I look over and I see Aaron McKee. Like, I played mm-hmm. against that guy three or four times. Yep. Um, the Darren Horn over at NKU, I played against him in high school. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what the game has, has become for me. Um, when I first graduated, I was always watching the UC guys in college from college go to the pros and follow their careers mm-hmm. and so so there's a lot of branches uh, yep. to it because i you know played it usually and I, I think that's the great thing about sports in general you know you make so many great connections so many great people and you know life's about I always say six degrees of separation you know like mm-hmm. ev- everybody that you can think of you're six people when i think it's probably even smaller now but um, the same in the basketball world, man. You, you like you talked about the Temple game. You turn it on. It seems like every UC game, the other team, there's somebody either on the staff, players, or something. I'm like, oh, I know him from this or that. And it's just, I think that's what makes you know sports so great. But one of the things I want to say here, Keith, is um, as I think about your place in history with UC basketball, um, and I was interviewing and I was talking to A.D. Jackson and I talked about, I think, his role as a glue guy um, and just, I think, how important he was to the teams during his time. I think for you, as I think back on your history wearing the, wearing the red black, um, you were, in my opinion, or you are the iron horse of UC basketball, which is a term I'm sure you've heard before. Yeah. But, um, and like I said, I'm going to tie back what you said at the start of the podcast, talking about the number of games in consecutive, but you were the iron horse of UC basketball. No question about it. If you look back through all the history, you are the iron horse. I take that, man. That was a, not an easy one to uh, <laughs> achieve. Um, yeah. I, I used to tell Mick um, when he was coaching here was, you know, every sophomore should really sit a game so that they can appreciate from the outside. Mm. And that's just so I could preserve my consecutive games played. But Sean Kilpatrick <laughs> had, had to ruin that for me. <laughs> oh. So, you know, I, I do take great pride in the fact that when I came to UC, it was, I mean, it was, it was high on life, man. It was coming off the Final Four, and the Elite Eight team was phenomenal, and uh, that was my freshman year. And, and there was certainly a dip. Uh, to be expected with all the new talent influx. But, again, you talk about my senior year when we had Danny Forts and Darnell Burton and made another Elite Eight run. I feel like we left it, left the program in better shape than it was, or mm-hmm. in the same shape, 
yep. uh, the year following me, if you recall, I think uh, that's when Kenyon came in and Ruben came in, and they were preseason number one. Mm-hmm. So I think we did a pretty good job of building the program while I was there. No question. No question. And, and a lot of that as a result, you know, you got guys like Kenyon and no guys that are coming in. A lot of those guys come in because of things that you guys put in place. You know, like I say, Danny Fortson, um, you know, put things in position to where a Kenyon Martin wants to come. You know, there's always guys before that, and the, the program was in such great shape. And as I told A.D. Jackson, you know, you look back at these 90, 90s teams, and we talk about UC Bearcat basketball in 2020 and how fanatic these fans are. That was built back then. I mean, there was – because you remember, there was that Tony Yates period, and um, we all love Tony Yates, great person, but that was a tough stretch for UC basketball. There weren't a lot of victories and a lot of, you know, you know, high-level basketball being played at that time, and it was quickly shifted by Bob Huggins. Yeah, suddenly, you know, putting Cincinnati on your chest meant something. Yep. And and that sort of mentality of, of tough nose, you know, we're going to play harder uh, than anybody else in the country, it started back in the early 90s. Um, no doubt. And, and you can see it consistently, you know, even as coaches change with Mick Cronin and now Coach Brannon, uh, you know, it, it still means something to put Cincinnati on your chest. Yeah, without a doubt. So here's what I like to do at the end of every podcast that I do an interview. I like to do quick questions, quick answers. You ready? Shoot. Okay, here we go. Quick questions, quick answers with Keith Greger. Here we go. Number one, is it true that you have a sandwich named after you called the Greger Club? The Greger Club, a chicken on the run in Silverton, Ohio. This is a fact. Best sandwich in Cincinnati. Wow. Can can you tell what what is that sandwich? So it's a uh, it's a chicken and turkey double decker uh, with lettuce, tomato, mayo. Um, <laughs> I think when I first signed at UC, um, Ross Bachman was the owner of the place, and he was a big UC fanatic fan. He put it on the on the menu, and I think a year later um, he brought on the Flint fries, and then there was a Brandon Burger. It was local kids that he would you know name something after. And I think as I was graduating my senior year, the compliance committee came in and said, you can't do that. You got to take it off. And so everybody else lost theirs. But because I was a graduating senior, mine stayed on the menu. Wow. The Gregor Club. <laughs> that is that's that's too good. You have a sandwich. That's, that's, that's really good. Okay. Question number two. If you could be one Reds baseball player in history, who would it be? Brian Pena. With what? <laughs> I was I was not expecting that. So yeah, so Brian Pena is an interesting story. My wife is the is the Reds fanatic of our house. Mm-hmm. And the Reds caravan, she actually rode in um and won uh a visit from the Reds caravan. And so Marty Brenneman, Brian Pena, Eric Davis Tucker Barnhart, these guys all on the caravan one morning showed up at our house and we had a party for about 50 people. Oh, wow. And so Brian Pena, he's an amazing story. Defected from Cuba, escaped, got here. And the the tough upbringing and how he had to uh, get out of things. But I'm telling you, the guy was so funny. He enjoyed life. You never saw him without a smile on his face. I mean, that's my favorite red of all. Okay, that's I, I was not expecting that. I mean, I yeah, was, you know, you got <laughs> Pete Rose, you got Tony Perez, Eric Davis. No, I was okay. That threw me off. Good answer, though. Good answer. Okay, question number three. If you could say in Bearcat history, there was one player that you look at and say that person embodies Bearcat basketball. Who would that be? Hmm. Uh, there, there are there are a few that I would uh, choose from, but you'll see kind of the dynamic that I would I would look at would be a Jason Maxfield, Eric Hicks, Justin mm. Jackson, yep. um, Trey Scott. Yep. To me, if you get 
a slightly undersized big man in that 6'6 to 6'7 range that is athletic as anything and puts it all out there on the court. That's what you see basketball is. Yep. Bingo. Perfect. I agree with you 100%. All right. I know you're going to laugh at this. <laughs> I got to say the last question has got to be the best one. Okay. You ready? Go for it. If you see decided to build a statue of Keith Greger outside of Fifth Third Arena, what would be the action pose of that statue? So if you think about Pete Rose, he's sliding in the home, Kenyon Martin, if there was a statue, he'd be blocking a shot. What would mm-hmm. the Keith Greger statue look like? Mm. You know, you toss up between taking a charge or just a, a powerful stance with the ball. <laughs> and I hope not, it's not the charge because I can't imagine what that would look like. But there was a photo that someone had of me once and they were going to start a magazine and they were going to make this one of their covers. And when I saw the photo, I was actually really impressed because I think I was holding the ball so strong, uh, it, it, the guns were just blazing. Mm. And, and, and I looked at myself and I'm like, I've never been that big, have I? And so <laughs> that would be the photo, whatever, you know, shows most uh, guns. That would be it. That's good stuff, yeah. man. That's good stuff. Now, this was great, man. I think you, uh, number one, you told a lot, of, a lot of great stories and we went through some history. And I thought it was important that we kind of highlighted some of those seasons. And some of the fans today of this generation don't know a lot about you know, like that 1995 team that I consistently tell people, like, so that team was really, really good. So I'm glad we had an opportunity to talk about that. And and um, you actually agree that, you know, that's definitely one of the slept-on themes in Bearcat history. So, Keith, we got to do this again. I know I see you at Bearcat basketball games still to this day. I mean, you still come to the games. You still support. You still watch. Yeah, and as much as I, you know, enjoy talking about my history and, and the the good old days and the Huggins era, um, you know, I, I always supported Mick and anything that they needed. And, you know, I certainly uh, am willing to take a backseat to Coach Brandon and his players and anything because I want to see this program get back to that level. Um, yep. So. Definitely. Well said, man. Well, hey, Keith, I want to thank you for coming on the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. we got to do this again soon. Sound good? As always, Alex, absolutely. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Okay. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, at Big Meach 41 and soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!